Welcome to the Be Still, Be Aware series, where nothing is off limits. I'm your host, Claire Ford. Let's talk. Hi there. Thanks for joining us for the Be Still, Be Aware series. Today, I am joined by special guest Brie Amer. Some of you might know her from Big Brother, are also from her media experience. She is a self-proclaimed communicator. She loves to chat and talk for a living, so I look forward to chatting with her now. We are going to be hitting home hard. We are talking about stillbirth again, but we also are going to be talking about what to do when your doctor won't listen, how your baby is communicating with you in pregnancy and finding joy after loss. So join us as we chat with Brie and let's talk. Before we begin, we'd like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the land on which this series is recorded and pay our respects to their elders, past, present and emerging. Thank you so much for joining me, Bree. And I know that there would be many listeners and viewers that would be watching and hearing, you know, your voice and listening intently to what you're probably about to talk about. Um, knowing your story somewhat, but there will be many that perhaps don't know your story. So I would love it if you would tell us a little bit about you and your journey and um, obviously your pregnancy and motherhood journey. Um, would you indulge us? I will. Um, feel free to interrupt so it's not a big monologue. <laughs> but if it's a monologue, that's totally fine. You just talk and we'll just chat. Talk. Um, okay. Yeah. So, um, my husband and I, uh, fell pregnant with our first child about five and a half. Oh, well, actually no, it would have been about six years ago. Um, and we fell pregnant really easily. You know, it was after a couple of months of trying and we were kind of thanking our lucky stars at how it was all kind of falling together. Um, we very quickly found out that it was a little boy um, who we named Archie. Um, and the pregnancy, look, it was really straightforward. Um, you know, no morning sickness, nothing, nothing, no red flags throughout the whole thing. Basically, we decided to go with a private obstetrician because naively really we we assumed that that was the best thing to do for for our child and that that would kind of be the safest route um you know and I did the prenatal classes and and all that stuff and never once during prenatal classes did I ever really hear the word stillbirth to be honest I actually don't think I even really understood properly what it was like I always thought it was something that happened during birth um so, you know, I was a little bit naive to, to those sorts of complications. But as, as my pregnancy went on, people kept saying to me, my sister-in-law particularly, mm. you're small, you're really small. Um, and I kind of put it down to me being really tall. Like I'm, you know, I'm five foot ten. Um, and, and everyone, you know, when I, especially when I got towards like the, the 30 weeks, 35 week mark, everyone was like, oh yeah, you really, you really, you haven't like blown out like a lot of people do. And like part of you is like, oh, thanks. Um, and, <laughs> and everyone carries differently as well. Like, you know, not if some people are tall and small and other people yeah. are little and big and vice versa. It's a, it's a really weird pregnancy myth that everyone <laughs> has to carry a certain way. But mm. I won't. So you felt. So you noticed it too. But we're like, oh, okay, well. I did, and and my my sister in law kept saying to me, what what what's your fundal measurement? And I was like, what's that? And so and she's like, does the obstetrician measure your stomach? And I was like, no. And so I when I went in to see him, I think I was like in the early thirties. Mm. 
weeks, um, I said to him, you know, I keep being asked by my sister-in-law what my funnel measurement is and uh, what is that? And I feel like I'm quite small. And he was like, no, you're fine. Uh, I measure with my eyes and my hands. So he said it was unnecessary basically. Mm. Um, and then look, not long after that, uh, but it kind of, it, it reassured me because I thought, well, he knows better than I do. Maybe that's, you know, I think we kind of move past that quickly. And then um, look, the only other thing that kind of started to raise concerns was movement slowing down. And that happened around the kind of, I reckon gradually from around the 34 week mark and it just changed. Archie's movements changed and, you know, I'd go for long periods without, without feeling him. And so I'd, you know, do all the things that you probably shouldn't do and you should go straight to a hospital, but I'd have a drink and I'd, you know, lay down and try and feel him. And so over, it was probably only over about a week, actually, I I was getting a bit concerned. And then I had a day where I like didn't feel him until, you know, three o'clock in the afternoon. So I went to the obstetrician and I was about 30, I was about 36 and a half weeks, went to the obstetrician and I said, I'm just not feeling him move as much. Um, Some days I'm not feeling him until late in the afternoon. And he said, okay, let's do a quick, ultrasound and have a look and he said yep heartbeat's fine um so he said uh yeah heartbeat's fine everything looks okay and kind of booked me in to have a, a c-section actually a couple of weeks um down the track which was an unrelated thing so I was about I was about two weeks away from actually you know taking Archie home from the hospital um and so that we went home that day kind of reassured said everything was fine. And I woke up the next morning. And as soon as I woke up, I just knew something was very wrong. Like, you know, I think for anyone who's been pregnant, you know, you kind of poke, you poke around in your stomach to make sure that they're okay. Cause I guess that's what you do. And I just felt like I was poking and there was like literally nothing happening. Um, but then I was like, no, he's fine. You know, he was fine yesterday afternoon. You're being paranoid and you know, you have all these weird conversations in your head, reassuring yourself, I guess. Um, and so I actually had my baby shower that morning and went to that. Um, and I just sat there the whole time just going, what am I doing sitting here? Like I should be going to the hospital, but then I'd be going, no, he was fine yesterday. So anyway, I went home and as soon as I walked into my husband, I said, I still haven't felt him move today. And like that day, my husband fed me ice cream for breakfast because he was like, oh, surely like this will make him move. So all these things that you're trying to do. And I was like, I just want to go to the hospital. And so we went and, you know, like everybody else, longest drive of your life, um, and got there. And I remember the midwife who was lovely. Actually, I ran into recently. She, um, you know, put me straight in. They're amazing. Um, and was looking for the heartbeat and, I could, she was saying, you know, oh, yeah, it's okay. You know, I'm looking for it. Sometimes it can take a bit to find, so don't don't worry. I could see in her face that her, like, eyes were starting to, like, glass over and, like, well up. Mm. And I just I just knew. And, I mean, obviously they went and got the obstetrician and brought him in who officially kind of broke the news to me and told me that there was no heartbeat and that he'd gone and he'd passed away. Um, but, yeah, like, I feel like your the moment is just like frozen in time in my head, I guess, because your world stops turning. 
Um, and it stops turning for a long time. Um, but yeah, it was like, you know, it's a living nightmare, I guess. Um, but we stayed in the hospital at the time. We, I gave birth to him, I think about 10 hours later. Um, we were gifted an extraordinary woman who I know a lot of people will have heard of, Deb DeWild, who was our counsellor appointed to us by the hospital. And I truly think without her, the entire experience would have been very different. Um, and the fact that not everyone gets the support that we got really breaks my heart because she guided and supported us in every possible way. Um, and I just feel so fortunate that we, we did have that support. Um, for us, you know, it was, I know that a lot of people have autopsies done, which we did and don't get an answer. Um, but we were really fortunate and did, and it was a, the placenta had filled with blood clots. So, a lot of people have this happen because they have a blood disorder, but for me it was specific to the placenta so and to Archie, so not, you know, uh, necessarily for any other pregnancy. It was a weird combination of the two. Um, so that would have happened over a period of weeks, maybe a month, mm. um, which explains why the gradual movement decreasing happened and why I stopped growing. So when Archie was born, he was only like 2.2 kilos and he was almost 37 weeks. So he was really small. Like he was in the 10th percentile, I think. Um, and basically what came back from that after getting second opinions and seeking some specialists who only work in the stillbirth field is that it was totally preventable and that all signs were there that something wasn't right and those signs were ignored, mm. um, picked up on. Well, they were ignored because I brought them up. But uh, that for me was probably one of the hardest things to get past. I say past because it's, you know, talking about it, I still get a bit of rage. But um, Understandably. You know, I had to accept, uh, I guess, because it just felt like such a waste of a life and just like it just felt so unfair and I know everyone feels like that um but you know knowing that it could have been prevented mm. had things have been different then you know he would have been born a perfectly healthy baby which is just so tragic so tragic and you know it did take took me a really long time to stop being angry about it um which I think I have but it's just, yeah, it's just, it's just a shame. And now we've always got that, you know, I now have two more kids. I have Hunter who's um, three and a half and Harlow who's one. And, you know, they've got, they've got a sibling that they don't play with. And I, you know, he would now be five turning six. And as you know, Claire, like picturing them as part of that family unit, even though I know it probably wouldn't look like this mm. if he were here, um, is really difficult. It's really difficult and Hunter's now hit an age where he, we talk about Archie to him a bit now and have gone a bit more in depth because we can actually kind of comprehend. And his latest thing is asking me all the time where he is. Mm. Like, how do I answer that? I'm not a religious person, so. I know. <laughs> I don't know how to answer that and that's hard. Like, I, yeah. 
but love lives on, right? So he's in your memory. He's in your memory. Absolutely. And and in the Uh, create of him with with Hunter and Harlow, I think. Yeah. You know, Archie is a very special little human and I can understand the rage you talk about, you know, like that's so unfair. It is. You know, and it's it shouldn't happen, you know. No. You know, you talked about the fact that you entrusted him. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, you know, we thought we were doing the, the best possible thing by, you know, paying the thousands of dollars that you do to go and get what you consider to be the best for your child. And it's just not the case. Like I've heard of so many people that have got excellent care through the public system in exactly the same situation as what I was in, you know. So not that it's anything to do with public and private. It's just you expect people to be heard. I guess, is the bottom line of that one. And I think, you know, in that, that's so hard. I mean, how do you, you're like just, you're trying to, and you you can't, um, you were assertive. Like you went, okay, hang on, this doesn't feel right. I don't know, know, is this normal? You know, do I, I've noticed that this, this is worrying me. So, you know, you put your trust in somebody to be able to advise you not only on the fact, so that you're aware of things, but to trust you that you know that something's not right and you don't know any different unless they impart that wisdom and that power back onto you as as mum, as parent in the pregnancy. And I think unfair. Like I always felt like I was being rushed out the door and I feel like Mm. I probably wasn't given the information that I should have been given because I think I would have become harder work to manage and I'm sure that's the case, you know, across the board. I shouldn't say across the board. There's some amazing obstetricians and midwives out there. But um, across the board with problems that arise, I think, you know, you become more work and it just shouldn't be a consideration. Like it's just outrageous. And and I think the more when like, like this happens to you and you're devouring the internet and trying to read everything you can, and like I was saying to you before we started, I remember very early on in the days after um, Archie died, reading your story um, and Alfie's story and, you know, you're devouring all this and I think the more that you find out and the more that you realise how common it is and how often it happens and could be avoided, the more upsetting it is and the harder it is to then get past. And I think... Yeah, and I think also the the whole you know how do you heal, mm. and do and and do you have to, and who says how long it needs to take or how you're meant to do it? Like there is no right or wrong, and there's no rhyme or reason. Often with a lot of these scenarios, that um, you know, I think that is it's interesting that you say you know we were lucky enough to get a, a reason behind it, but it's also this you know, seriously cruel as well. Mm, you're, absolutely. You're thrown in the face of going, well, that was actually totally preventable yeah. and identifiable. I, I, moving forward and having other pregnancies, I think I would have found it torturous not knowing. Yeah. Uh, just have so much respect for the women who and fathers who go through subsequent pregnancies without an answer because I think that's a different level of strength that you have to find within yourself. Whereas I could, when I was pregnant, you know, went to a specialist who specialized in high risk pregnancies and 
heads up most of the research, you know, in Sydney and a lot of it in Australia to into stillbirth. So I knew I was in really good hands and I knew exactly what they were looking for. And I think had I not have had that, I mean, it's amazing what you can deal with when you have to. So I'm sure I would have, it just, it would have been torturous. And I know that there's so many people in that situation mm. and it's hard. Really hard. I think a majority, yeah, and a majority of stillbirths, we, you know, in the third trimester remain, you know, unknown. We don't, we don't mm. know. And I think that that fact that we don't know um, is, is also a fear-inducing thing from a clinical perspective because they go, well, if we don't know all the answers, it's like I have to have all the answers before I can do anything. That's but actually, right. In this case, um, we already have many things that we're totally aware of, and you alluded to one of those things already in in your pregnancy. You know, with Archie, he he behaved differently. Uh, he, he didn't, he became unresponsive. You know, you, you talked about trying to sort of wake him or do things, uh, him moving, prod him, but that he's, he became lethargic. You sort of described this slowing down and did, you know, do you, in hindsight, I mean, hindsight's a, is a beautiful and an awful thing because, you know, that the, the conversations of what if, but you did report, you know, uh, change and what do you wish that, I mean, what can you impart in terms of other people who are expectant mums out there who go, you know what, I have noticed my baby being different. You know, I, you talked about the fact that you wish you didn't wait, mm. um, you know, but I think it's also beautiful that you did get to have your baby shower. I know that that's a, it's a bit of a <laughs> double whammy there, but I had two. <laughs> you had two. <laughs> two for Archie. Yeah. yeah. It was a but yeah. I think that's nice because you still got to, you know, people were part of his life and got to celebrate him. Yeah. And those people were so profoundly affected by his death and that, that's something that is obviously horrible to see everyone around you going through but also something beautiful in the sense that he was so cared about by people who never even got to meet him. Yeah. And that's so nice. Um, But my takeaway, look, I I always say to women who are pregnant or in interviews like this, because obviously I try to have this loud voice about this subject because, I mean, it's what I've done in my past. I talk, talk for a living. So if I can, if one person hears it and goes, you know, I'm going to go to the hospital instead of sitting here at home worrying about a baby not moving, then I feel like my job in life is done. But, you know, I'm always saying just, just go, just go to the hospital and be loud enough to be heard and don't leave until you're reassured and feel happy about it. And look, it's a weird message because I did that. Um, And I think had I, I honestly believe had I been sent for like a CTG and been monitored for a couple of hours, Mm. then I would have realised that the movement wasn't, um, consistent rather than just a 30 second check of a heartbeat going yes there is one because yeah. um, he only so, looked at the heartbeat he didn't look at anything else that's right it was the health of your baby it wasn't a prolonged monitor of, of of a heartbeat and movement and when someone's saying to you the baby's not moving you know I think it's kind of an obvious step but yeah I, I think that you definitely have to follow your gut as well like to be honest I had a feeling, I mean, I don't mean to go down like a, 
too much of a spiritual path because I'm actually not that, not really a spiritual person, but I felt like something was wrong even before the movement had slowed down. My gut was just telling me that something wasn't right. Like I said to one of my best friends weeks before this, I just can't picture bringing him home. Like I can't having him in this space and it's like I can't, I feel like something's like not right. Mm. And I feel like as mums and as pregnant mums, we have an intuition like that is off the planet. Mm -hmm. And I think that you really have to follow that and have belief in yourself and in your ability to know when something isn't right. Um, And I think surround yourself with good people. Like if you feel like you're not being heard by a midwife or an obstetrician or a GP or whatever, then get, go and speak to somebody else. Like, you know, change, change your care or get a second opinion. And I just think, you know, unfortunately there's people still with the wrong message out there. Like my daughter's 15 months old. I presented to the hospital, even after my history with Archie, um, with reduced movement and the midwife told me next time have a drink of orange juice and wait at home for a couple of hours and see if she moves. And I was like, are you really telling me that? So I think educate yourself as well and know. Total myth, by the way, for those that are listening and watching, total myth. It's yeah, not don't easy, do babe. yeah, don't do that. If you're worried about <laughs> movements, you know, that that's not great advice. That is old information that physiologically shouldn't work. Um, you know, and, and it's mad, it's madness. Yeah. So, so sorry, I interrupted you, but no. I, want, I want to make sure that you're right. like you said, people have to act. And if, if somebody's not listening or hearing you, keep pushing. You know, you yeah. are mum and you That's are right. a parent. Mm. You have a say. You're allowed to speak up. Mm. But it's hard. I mean, you know, your scenario is exactly an example of that, that you, you did, but then what? What happens next? Had I have known more, yeah, then I probably wouldn't have been reassured by that. And it's a hard thing because a lot of pregnant people, and I may have been one of them, don't want to hear the bad stuff. Like I've literally had people go, oh, no, 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 I don't want to hear about that. I went with the Stillbirth Foundation and did an event once like where we had a stall and watched people walk pregnant. It was a, it was a baby and toddler expo. I'm sure you've done them. Yeah. And people walk around us because they didn't want to know about it. And I get that. You don't want to add stress to yourself, especially when stress isn't something that you want during your pregnancy, but information is power. And I just think that if they were in these prenatal classes where they're like telling us how to change nappies and how to, you know, some of the information they were giving us was just so ridiculous compared to the necessity of knowing when to ring the alarm bells. Yeah. Like one awkward or fear inducing conversation in order to save lives. And that's even if it is awkward or fear inducing, I think I, it's awkward as we make it. For the like, people having the conversation. Totally. totally love yeah. that. It's usually the person having the conversation. That's right. Yeah. Like that is kind of awkward about it. Yeah. It doesn't need to be, right? I mean, no. I mean, if you can see nothing, have third degree air between your vagina and your bum, then surely you can have a conversation about, you know, 
like alarm bells and like warning signs for when things aren't right. You don't have to actually go straight down that your child's going to be stillborn if this happens. No, if this happens, go to the hospital because it's a sign of something not being right. Mm-hmm. We don't, and we don't know which baby is vulnerable to stillbirth. We don't know. And that's the thing. This is a, this is a conversation for everybody because there was nothing wrong with Archie. There was nothing wrong with but But his placenta didn't function the way that it was meant to and there were clots that were affecting the function of his placenta. <laughs> but there wasn't anything wrong with him. So mm. he deserves every bit of life. Yeah. Just like the, the baby next to him, just like the mother down the street, just like, you know, the children that are running around where our kids should be. And it's, it's, it's a cruel and bitter twist that, it, you know, that, you know, now our lives have this, this piv- these pivotal moments. Our kids have, have um, helped our voice, even though, you know, you, like you said, I love the fact that you said I talk for a living. So I'm going to continue to shout this. And, you know, that's the gift we can, we can offer these babies that don't get a voice for themselves is we have a voice, so we have to know how to use it. You mm. used yours in your pregnancy but didn't know where to go with it from there and so you were mm. shut down, your, your intuition. And I think you're pinpointing that and the importance of your intuition is, is really powerful because it's actually not about being spiritual or believing in signs no. and things like that. It's actually not. It's, about, it's, a, it's a true thing. It's a connection between you and your baby mm. and there is a life growing inside you communicating with you. And yes. that is a powerful, powerful thing. Mm-hmm. How else are they going to talk to you? Talk to you. Yeah. Like, you know, movements is obviously a, a big tool that our children have inside us to be able to communicate, right? Absolutely. And on the flip side of that, for anyone listening who's pregnant, yeah. <laughs> um, if this gives you some kind of, uh, you know, because I, I don't want to give people the idea of dread, like I was sitting there going, oh, you know, this baby's going to die because I didn't, it wasn't like that. It was, it was a, it was just a, a gut feeling that something wasn't wrong. In my subsequent pregnancies of Hunter and Harlow, I always had a feeling that it would be okay. Yeah. From the beginning. Yeah. So it, when really you would think after having the experience that we had had, you would go into the subsequent pregnancies with a bigger feeling of dread and that wasn't the case. So I don't want anyone to feel like that's, you know, mapped out in your future. <laughs> Absolutely. I think it's really important to say that because there is actually research to back that up too in terms huh. of this um, this feeling of um, not necessarily doom I want it, or dread, something's not right. And mm. also if you have a feeling of dread or concern or I can't imagine bringing my baby home like you described mm. it, it doesn't mean that, oh, oh my goodness, well, you're doomed. It's no. Like, have that conversation with your care provider because they need to know because there is research around that and research to support the fact of, of that intuitive sense Mm -hmm. of a mother. I mean, if we look at outside of pregnancy, the first thing that a pediatrician does in talking to or trying to ascertain a baby's health is talk to mum and say, so tell me about your baby, what's happening with your baby. So if we can change the way we do that in pregnancy and ask the right questions. So tell me about your baby, what's happening to with your baby but in your case it sounds like the 
the clinical um, assessment took over the conversation. That's right. That, you know, it was, okay, well, this machine says to me that there's a heartbeat, so you're fine and so is your baby. See you later. But a heartbeat is simply just that. And, and we, you know. <laughs> that was the thing I didn't know. Yeah. You don't know what you're talking you don't right. know what you don't know. So I love that whole, uh, you know, that advice that you, you've given earlier, empower yourself with knowledge, arm yourself with information. Mm-hmm. It's not to fear or to, mm-hmm. um, you know, have that, that worry. I don't want to hear the bad stuff. It's actually informing yourself so you can make the choices that are right for you, your body, your baby, and mm-hmm. give you that informed choice. Yeah. And I, it's not even, it's not even all on the, the parents. I, I, I know probably what you're trying to change. And I know at the stillbirth, we're trying to change. And that is making sure that the right information is given to the parents so that they don't have to find it themselves. Exactly. Exactly. It's not just your responsibility. It's a unit of care. You're all part of this. Mm. But just as much as they need the machines, they actually need you because you're the only one who has 24-7 with your baby. And I think right. in your, you know, subsequent pregnancies, it's really interesting that you say that, that, you know, you would have thought that that level of anxiety or that fear factor would have been through the roof, but mm. the concern or that, you know, that worry was actually mm. more so in, in, the, in Archie's pregnancy. Yeah. So, so Hunter was born after Archie with him. I was confident the whole way through mm. with Harlow. I actually presented to the hospital a couple of times Mm. Uh, I was worried about her movement and interestingly when she was born and this was right towards the end Mm. um, and interestingly when she was born she was also very small so it's a and they and then she was measuring uh, quite big the whole way through so um, yeah it's funny like I definitely I definitely am a big believer in the in the gut instinct and the and you know I know all the work that you did with counting kicks and, and things like that and it just shows that at the end of the day it, it works and I think you know just making sure that you have a presence and an awareness about that you know uh, and their daily movement and things like that is just empowering yourself and I think that's really important you know that your your baby has an activity level you know mm. a strength a pattern and a frequency of the way they behave and if we talk about your pregnancies um Archie obviously had that um that pattern that behavior and his behavior changed and mm. you know you know in in all of your pregnancies I'm sure all your children behave differently and you just mm. describe that but mm. you know it's it's scary actually mm. to hear you say that um, you know, that movements actually did change in your third pregnancy and she was, she was small. Yeah, she was small. So she was actually only um, a couple of hundred grams bigger than what Archie was. Mm-hmm. Um, but she was fine. Like, she, you know, she was absolutely fine. But I know that uh, there was, there was conversations that happened uh, with my obstetrician and the pediatrician going, she's quite small. Um but, you know, didn't go, I could have sent the placenta away and had it analysed and, and all that. At the time, for me, it didn't feel right because I was enjoying having a healthy baby there. Yeah, she's there. Um, but, you know, so I'm so blessed and lucky to have the two kids with me here today and to obviously have Archie in here and here and to talk about. Yeah. And I think it's, um, you know, you talked about your kids growing up 
mm. knowing Archie. Mm. Um, how, how, what are you doing to, you know, to encourage that conversation? What are some of the things that, how do you communicate? Um, look, we have a beautiful urn, which is like a candle, um, which we have Archie's ashes in, uh, which we light all the time. Um, every birthday of his, we go to Maruba Rock Pool. It's this place that I was at every day because it the day Archie was born was like 40-something degrees, I think. It was so hot. Oh, no, it was through the hottest summer. That's right. I was pregnant through like the hottest summer on record or something like that. And so I was down at the, this rock pool all the time just sitting there like a whale kind of getting the cold <laughs> all over me. So that was strangely the place that I really associated with him. Um, you know, and I know I struggled at the time, as I'm sure you did, and a lot of people do, with not having the memories to kind of – you know, hold on to or and, – and, and yet I feel like that would be the hard part of losing a child if you did have a lot of memories as well. It's such a double-edged sword. I, I guess the moral of that is there's no easy way to do it. Mm. Um, but I associate that place with him. So we go down every year on his birthday and throw lavender into the, the rock pool. Um, and I think, you know, having uh, my eldest only being three mm. – not something that we've had big in-depth conversations with um, about, but we recently moved and a good friend of mine had a painting done of a photo of Archie and I was packing and it hadn't been on the wall. Um, it had been in, I kept it somewhere else and my son saw it and went, oh, look at that painting of me. And I said, oh, actually, that's not you. I said, that's Archie. And I had spoken to him about Archie before, but he was, he just didn't retain it, you know, because he was too young. And so then he was like, who's that? And so I went into this, you know, entire conversation with him about it. And I was saying, well, before you were born, you know, mummy and daddy had another baby um, and it was a boy and his name was Archie and his mind was blown. He was like, what? And I said, but he was born sleeping and he wouldn't wake up and, you know, he died unfortunately. And, um, but he's someone that we're going to talk about all the time and that's him and he's your brother. And he was like, oh, my little brother. I said, no, actually, he's your big brother. I said, but he'll always be little. So, you know, had this big conversation with him about it and I thought, I wonder if he'll retain it this time. Mm. And a couple of days later he said, you know my brother Charlie? <laughs> I said, Archie, yes. Uh, and then he started asking me all these questions about it. So for the first time ever it actually sunk in a little bit, I guess. And to be honest, I, as much as it's raised hard questions from him for me, like where is he now, um, I have really enjoyed talking about him more with Hunter. And, you know, any excuse to talk about them, right? Absolutely. <laughs> and look, I just, to be honest, so, you know, I do shy away from it, but I think um, it's really interesting because, you know, I know of people who, and I suppose this is a, a bit of information for you and for those that are listening and, and watching as well, is that, you know, I know of, um, of people who's, you know, they are now 18 year olds and their, their sister would be, you know, in her twenties. And I remember a story that, um, their mother shared with me saying that he actually got in an argument with someone in the playground because he was so, he, he was, it, it was the fact that he just really needed his sister to be validated. They were doing, you know, family trees or ancestry at school. Mm. And he just said, I need you to understand that I did have a sister. And it was the teacher that actually said, 
oh, yes, but there was something wrong with her. So she wasn't really your sister. She died and there was something wrong with her in pregnancy. And he said, no, she was born. There was nothing wrong with her, but she died and she was still born, but she's still my sister. And it was really interesting that his connection and the connection that this boy had with his older sister that he never met was so strong and that, you know, that um, camaraderie of brother and sister Uh, and that protection that he felt he needed to have for her was so strong still, even though he'd never met her, he'd just grown up with her. So I took a great sense of security in that personally when I first heard heard that story. And interestingly, my kids now are starting to, you know, they've always talked about Alfie and, you know, obviously it's we have still aware and we have birthdays for babies and they have been celebrating her life, you know, with all of this that goes on around them and, you know, what we now do full time and the the energy we put into this organisation. But the interesting thing is, is, um, you know, my son and daughter recently were getting quite upset because they suddenly realised that they were never going to meet her. And so whilst they've been very comfortable, so I think that there, you know, I suppose the lesson in that maybe is there is no easy road for this. That this, mm. this is a journey that I'm learning, that you're learning as mm. our kids learn with us. But um, what I will say is they're strong. You know, the kids are strong. How old are your two? So Ada is three and Archie is five. Another Archie. Yeah, oh, another I, Archie. I had mine. Sorry? Easy, but you're yeah. Archie. Five and mine would be five. Exactly. I know, when you right? Born. So Archie was born on April uh, the 9th. Oh my God. Yeah. And mine was born on April the 12th. Yep. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah, it is. Wow. And it's not like it was a ragingly popular name right then either. No. Actually, going to call him Archer. That was his name. Yeah. Um, that he would get Archie when he was little and so then when he was born it was something weird and we were both at the same time kind of said well he's always going to be that little boy for us so we decided to go with Archie instead of Archer. Yeah well Alfie's very similar our you know our firstborn daughter she she was named because we already knew um, that Archie would be Archie and Ada would be Ada and their middle names both subsequently both were started with an L so their initials were ALF um, uh, the names we had chosen and we um, had, we were pregnant with Alfie and called him or her Alfie the entire pregnancy because we went, oh, that's, that's cool. That's like, you know, it's not, but of course, with the intention that, you know, when we didn't know when she was born, whether she would be a girl or a boy. Um, and we thought, you know, we were discussing it and we said, well, no, there's no way that this, this is Alfred or Alfreda. It's literally Alfie. There's no question about it. So similarly to, to I suppose what you're saying is that the name you know stuck and that's her name and will forever be hers mm-hmm. but and I because often people say and I've even experienced a bit of this myself with the other ones you kind of have names in mind but then you think I'll just see when they're born what their personality is like or you know how I feel when they're born and I guess you don't have that so you therefore draw on what you have of their personality and your time with them. And so I, I love that they kind of have the pregnancy versions of their names. Totally. Uh, me too. I think that is a, um, you know, there's, and like yeah, we said earlier on, there's no right or wrong way to do anything, but 
you know, Alfie was always Alfie to us and will forever be um, in everybody, mm. whoever wants to remember her with us and live on in that way, wherever, wherever. And that's the thing is we don't know. We don't know what happens. Nobody truly understands. It's the one of those questions of what happens after this. But all mm. I do know is that our children and Archie, uh, you know, and Alfie have, have cemented something in us that is a formidable strength. And, you know, it has allows us to impart that strength on onto others because mm-hmm. truly neither of us amongst so many other families would ever wish this upon anyone. No, no one wants to be part of the club and it's not um, this parenting journey is weird. It is weird being a bereaved parent. It is. And I think, you know, you asked me before what my message is to people and I think... Something that I also try and get across, and it, like you said, it's different for everybody. I remember when, which is part of the reason why I read your story, once the shock wore off and I was looking on the internet for all this information and, you know, I think you kind of have this desperate need of trying to read something that tells you that people are okay and functioning and back to some level of normal, whatever that might be. And because I know for me in the days, weeks, months after Archie's death, I was like, my life's over. I'll never be the same again. I'm never going to go to my coffee shop again. I'm never going to walk down my street. If people are going to ask me about the baby, you know, I'm not going to go back to work. I'm not going to do this. Like, and I just desperately wanted to read a story of hope and I often say to people, and there's no guarantee in anything, like I'm anyone who's newly bereaved and newly going through this, I'm okay. And, you know, we, I'm happy and I'm, you, you do find the joy in your life again. And I think that it's so important to know that that's possible for people. Yeah. That is such a good lesson for life is that there is, you know, it's mm. important to find that joy and that even in all that sadness, you can eventually find it on the other side. Definitely. Whatever that is. Archie brought some real goodness into my life too. Like I must say, like some of the people that I have met are just the best of the best, be it, you know, the Deb DeWilds or, you know, I was um, part of a pals group, Parents After Loss, and it was like a support group um, when I was pregnant with Hunter and they were all pregnant post-stillbirth and now those women are like some of my best friends in the world and, you know, just being able to kind of be involved with things like this, I guess, is, is a bit of goodness too because it just makes me feel like I'm doing something for him, which is great so important because you know just like you said you know you've got three kids to here and you know two in your heart and and, and and sorry Archie in your heart and in your mind and your soul and living through memories and I think it's cruel um but like you said he's given you so much joy even mm-hmm. through the fact that he's not in your arms to hold and I'm so sorry that he isn't um, yeah. I wish yeah. yeah I wish it was different but I also do I do think that that was a really nice way of, of ending a, a great and very worthy conversation. I really appreciate you bearing your soul and sharing, sharing where you're at and your journey in motherhood, you know, that started in a way that was so confronting and very, mm. very different than you ever would have ever expected this journey to be. Um, yeah. 
you know, coming out the other side, you know, with a smile on your face and with sunshine in your heart, you know, it doesn't always feel awful. I think that's a great, um, a great way to enable those that are listening and watching this that might be in the depths of their grief right now to hear that they are going to be okay and that you know, there is sunshine and joy in life. There is, there sure is. It's coming your way. <laughs> so thank you so much, Bree, and um, I look forward to continuing the conversation some other time. Yes, please. It was lovely speaking to you and thanks so much for everything that you do for this weird little community we have. <laughs> I love that, the weird little community. It is a weird little community, but so much love and these, like you said, there's so many good people that mm. we've all met in this space and I think, yeah, what would life be What would life be like? You know, it's only a yeah. Yeah, weird. Weird. It is a weird little community. <laughs> thanks for being part of it. <laughs> All right. Thanks so much. Thanks for joining us today and we look forward to you joining us again next time. Remember, it's never too early to have a conversation, but it really can be too late. If you'd like to know more about Still Aware, the charity that's bringing you this series, head to stillaware.org.